Hello and welcome to the next installment of Litsema Talks. Today I'm joined by Will Kutia, the Managing Director of Botanic and Natural Products P2I Limited, based in all days Limpopo. Will, how are you? Hi Adam, thanks uh, for your time this morning. It's going well here, thank you. We've had some early rains up here in the north of Limpopo, so everything has turned a, a little greener and we're looking forward to a, to a good rainy season ahead. That's so true. Um, Johannesburg is not the prettiest place in, in winter, but just a bit of rain really greens things up and makes things look a lot better. Uh, we've asked Will here to, in a way, talk about green, more sustainability, the theme of sustainability. It's a term that's doing the rounds across business in terms of investments, bond offerings, products in the FMCG sector, and also in personal care. Uh, Will came to our attention because he works with Cerebel, uh, which is part of the Litsema family, and Cerebel being a chemical solutions manufacturer within the personal care sector, in particular ingredients in personal care solutions. Now, Will, I know I mentioned you're the managing director of Botanica. What is Botanica? And what is Botanica's agricultural focus? I know we'll talk about your relationship with Cerebel a little bit later. And, and who are your customers? What, In a nutshell, what do you guys do? Botanica Natural Products is a social enterprise. It's family-owned, privately owned. Mm-hmm. And we're an agro-processor of ingredients for cosmetic products as well as for uh, nutritional supplements and so forth. That means that we produce these products from the farm uh, process them in our own factory, and then offer them to potential clients as ingredients for cosmetic products and for food products. Okay. And in terms of the history of Botanica, how long has it been around? You said it's privately owned. How long have you personally been involved uh, with the company? As I mentioned, Botanica is a family-owned enterprise, mm-hmm. so I've been involved since the beginning. We okay. started very serendipitously in 2009 had a, a visit from one of our friend's father-in-law who had been in the cosmetics sector for a long time. And he came out looking for some in- interesting ingredients. We looked around what we had here and we started a company looking for products that would be of interest to cosmetic companies. So there are two families involved, our family, mm-hmm. the Kutsias, and then a family of, of friends of ours based in Paris, in France. And we started this in 2009. About 90% of our market is export. Okay. So that is everything from Europe to West Africa, to the US and Asia. Uh, well, then I guess let's kind of move into to the crux of what your business is. You, you spoke about sustainability as an eco-business. Uh, I know I noted earlier in the introduction that it's a word that's tossed around, but w- when I mention sustainability to you uh, in your line of work, what does it actually mean? And in terms of running a sustainable agriculture operation uh, like Botanica, what are the challenges that you face? That's a great question. Sustainability is a word that's bandied around very easily and is Mm -hmm. often associated with greenwashing in these times where everybody wants to be sustainable, everybody wants to be on the right side of these types of terms. For us, sustainability needs to be defined. We need to know what it is that we are choosing for and choosing against in order to say whether you're sustainable or not. In a nutshell, for me, sustainability is adaptability. How quickly and how correctly can you adapt to the circumstances around you as well as to changes in the future landscape for your for your organization. Hmm. So only once you start deciding to move away from certain things, which may be very, very beneficial in the short term, but that are not sustainable over the longer term, that's hmm. when you can start using the word sustainability. So for us in agriculture, sustainability looks at the potential of the soil, first of all, because Mm. that's what everything's based on in agriculture, is to make sure that the soil can continue to give you the return that you require over a longer period. Secondly, to make sure that 
the basic ingredients, meaning the water that you require, meaning the amount of pollution or mm -hmm. uh, pesticides in the soil and water, don't climb to levels that will hamper your business in the future mm. or that will exclude you from accessing certain markets. Now, in agro-processing, we're based on agriculture. It means we have to look after the soil. It means we have to look after the, the water sources that we depend on. And it mm -hmm. means that we have to take these factors into consideration uh, over a longer period in the future in order to yeah. be sustainable. Okay. So I'm just interested to explore a bit more about soil uh, and water. What is the particular challenge you face when dealing with soil? Uh, and also from a water supply perspective, in Olympopo, it's a summer rainfall region, but global warming. I know from 20 years ago, rainfall patterns in Johannesburg is an example, somewhat different from what they were in the past. So what are your challenges there in, in maintaining a high quality soil composition uh, for, for the growth of your products and also to ensure that you have enough water to continue operations and sustainably? When we talk about soil, we're talking about the substrate that, that the plants grow in. Mm. So soil is often seen as just a dead medium, whereas that couldn't be further away from the truth. It's mm -hmm. a living medium with uh, bacteria, with microorganisms that are able to synthesize many chemicals that are then either available to the plants that you're growing, or if they're not uh, there, then the, the plants won't be able to, to grow as well. So mm -hmm. we're looking at probably the top meter, the topsoil. And the biggest challenges faced by the topsoil are, first of all, erosion. Mm -hmm. So when the soil is cleared, when there's no vegetation holding it, and you're working with gradients where you have higher areas and lower areas, mm -hmm. in our summer rainfall region, there's a lot of hard rain. The topsoil is washed away and silts up the rivers. Yes. The second part of soil health looks at what you've actually extracted from the soil by your production. So if you mm. have plants that have a high requirement of nitrogen or any other chemical that's necessary for growth, that needs to be replenished. And once you replenish it, you need to do that in as natural a way as possible to ensure mm. that the soil can continue to, to give you that production that you require. Finally, there's the water requirement that you asked mm. about. Now, we extract water from a river called the Mojalaquena River, which is a tributary of the Limpopo. And this river is a, a relatively well-managed riverine system. But we always have to be careful that the rivers aren't silted up by erosion to ensure that there's not a lot of topsoil running into the river, reduces its carrying capacity. Mm -hmm. And secondly, also to ensure that there are as few as possible chemical products that flow into the riverine system. We are mm -hmm. organically certified, so we look at ecological sustainability in our production. But that means we don't use any pesticides or fertilizers that are not organic in nature. However, uh, this is not the case for, for all farmers in, in this area or in the country. Mm. So we often have to check the quality of water and look at ways that we can reduce the, the chemical residues that are in the water uh, because there are many pesticides being used, many fertilizers being used. And it's this typical situation that you get if you go to the doctor and he asks you what the problem is and you tell him you have a headache. He, he will prescribe two pills and then to call him in the morning. But we often think we know better, so we'll just take four and not even call them the next day. Yes. So this is often the case as well with, with farmers, where uh, you would be recommended to add one ton of nitrogen, as an example. And you think, well, maybe if I add one and a half, it'll just be a little bit better than, than the one. And often this is what affects our rivers, our, our water sources, and our soil negatively. Mm. 
Well, no, I actually wanted to ask about that. As someone who, who literally works in the sector every day, what stops agricultural entrepreneurs, farmers from pursuing a, a more sustainable path? It, it does seem like that you do need to put a lot of effort in terms of your monitoring and evaluation, uh, to use that terms, in terms of your inputs into your processes uh, and the value chains. But what, what, in your opinion, is getting in the way of, of maybe more enterprises pursuing a more sustainable path to farming? I think the word that you mentioned there is critical, value. So the value in the value chain needs to be determined by both sides, by the producer uh, as well as by the yes. market. And this is often a, a real challenge for participants in the agricultural mm. sector because it is such a short-term turnaround requirement. You need to have yes. a crop every year, sometimes two or three crops a year. And in that sense, if you need to correct, whether it's a mistake or a natural occurrence, whether it's a plague of worms or whether it's uh, a mm -hmm. drought that's occurred, you need to change and you need to adapt very quickly. Now, usually in sustainable systems, and we're using that same word of sustainability again, mm -hmm. these are systems that are long-term systems. These are things that look at building up your soil over a period of time in order to be able to get the benefits and the returns over a longer period. Often when we're dealing with challenges, as we've just been doing for the last seven months now through COVID, yeah. um, we need to be able to react very quickly. All of a sudden, the market is under pressure. People are not willing or able to pay more for something that's sustainable. Now, that pressure filters all the way back to the producers who say, listen, mm -hmm. if I can just get my product off the land. So for us, we've been very fortunate. We export most of our product. And the markets that we export to and the clients that we deal with uh, are usually much more aware of the long-term sustainability. Mm -hmm. So... We weren't really faced by this choice of whether to be sustainable or not. We, it was a requirement for us. For us to enter the EU market, this was the requirement given by potential clients. They said, well, if you want to sell to us, first of all, you have to adhere to these requirements. It has to be yeah. sustainable. It has to be organically certified. We have to have all the requirements regarding social development in place before we start anything, before we even look at your product. So, mm. I mean, I wouldn't be the first one to pat ourselves on the back to say how great we are and how, how wonderful <laughs> we've thought about this. It was a requirement given to us. And uh, I'm just very happy that the, the synergy with our natural tendency was there from the start. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic. There's no way to avoid it. And with agriculture, as you noted, it's cyclical. In terms of the way you run your business, I know speaking to Cerebel, they noted to me that, that what's very important to Botanica is you speak about the four pillars uh, of sustainability. Could you just walk us through those, please? And just why are these pillars important to you? I think that this is basically the, the DNA of what makes our organization. And this is something that we've molded together from influences from our employees from our shareholders, previous shareholders, from our customers. We've put all of these things into a melting pot and seen what comes out. And these four pillars, as you refer to them, uh, are basically the, the DNA that's, that builds Botanica. So just to give you a bit of background, when we started our company, we were dealing with German shareholders, with French shareholders, with Dutch funders for our business. We're South African, uh, um, Afrikaans, and our staff all comes from a local tribal trust land, and they all are uh, Pedi and Sepedi speaking. So through all these different nationalities and, and cultures, what we realized is that we had to all speak to each other in our second language. So English was the, the language that we started the company in, and we realized that very quickly there would be 
misunderstandings, there would be miscommunications because everybody was using their second language, whether you're German, French, Dutch, Sepedi or Afrikaans, everybody's uh, going to be open to a situation where there would be misunderstanding. Yes. So for us, we needed to get the essence of our business in place that everybody understood if we have these things, then we can all uh, at least forgive each other's misunderstandings and miscommunications and move forward. So the pillars that we work on are based on this adaptability and sustainability. And the first one is to look at environmental sustainability, to ensure that the environment that we're working on, uh, from a geographical uh, point of view, from a climate point of view, from the resources that we're using, that these aspects are sustainable. And what I mean by sustainable in this mm -hmm. context is that they're actually in a better position after we've been working here as opposed to how we found them beforehand. Now, that's quite a lofty ideal to ensure that if you're going to be working the land, you're going to be planting products, you want to leave it in a better state. This is not the normal agricultural outlook. So yeah. this sustainability will be measured on our carbon footprint, will be measured on the water usage and quality, will be measured on the soil quality um, and availability and see what type of impact we've had on that over the period of time that we, that we work the land. The second one is related to the fact that we're based in a very remote and rural part of Limpopo province, about 20 kilometers from the Limpopo River. And right next to the farm that we operate on is a tribal trust community of almost 1 million people. Now, these 1 million people, you can imagine, live in socioeconomic circumstances which are dire. Low incidence of employment and employability, very high incidence of HIV AIDS. And what we often find is that this unemployment leads to a whole lot of other social uh, challenges down the line and down uh, different generations. So our second pillar is focused on social development. How can we not only help the community, but we're not altruistic NGOs, we're a, mm -hmm. we're a for-profit business. We have to look at how do we develop the people that we want to employ in the future. And that's a very long-term goal. It's not a short-term turnaround. Mm -hmm. So... Social development looks at intergenerational development, looking at how do we now get involved with schools, with creches, with offering employment opportunities to young school leavers that would either have to move to the cities or to a mine or somewhere else just to get a menial job. How do we look at employing these people and training them and making them employable so that they can have a life of meaning and enough of a economic benefit in the areas where they live to make a positive change? The third one is is what I mentioned earlier, which differentiates us from a from an NGO or from a nonprofit, is financial viability. It has to be viable to work. We're not an NGO. We're not a company that's focused on handouts. We would rather have a much more direct and and open relationship with our customers, with our stakeholders, with our shareholders, with our staff, which says there's value being transferred. And in that sense, if there's value being transferred from an employee to, to the company, the employee needs to be remunerated fairly. Mm -hmm. But the same way is only if there's value being transferred to the customer will there be a financial impact for the company. So that's the third one, is, is looking at financial viability and making sure that there is a, a profit motive and a profit focus for the company. The final pillar that we look at is more of a, a general aspect related to all of the, the three above. And this is what we refer to as respect, yes. is to say, listen, we have to have respect for everybody that we come in contact with. 
whether it's a client, whether it's an employee, whether it's a manager, whether it's some external regulator, whether it's a consultant, whether it's a partner, like like in the case mm-hmm. of Cerebell, we need to have respect for everyone that we get, come in contact with. According to us, that can only happen if we have respect for ourselves. So we need to respect ourselves to say we are a professional business. We expect more from our staff and from ourselves throughout the process. And in this way, by respecting each other, I think this final pillar really supports the first three. So if I can summarize them in a nutshell for you, it's environmental sustainability, social development, financial viability, and all of these are put into that melting pot with, with a good dose of respect. I mean, these these four pillars that you've just gone through, and thank you for sharing that with me, it just it resonates very strongly with that Sema Bizzano. has the, the drive of business being catalyst for social change at, at the heart of, of how Litsema functions as an organization. And, and Botanica, in your own unique way, does exactly the same thing. You mentioned Cerebel. Uh, how did you get introduced to Cerebel, uh, by the way? I know Cerebel, they, they now use a, a range of your ingredients. How did you become in contact with Cerebel? How long have you been working together? First of all, I would just like to say this is exactly the the part that intrigued us in the beginning, is this meeting of the minds or this same worldview uh, that we saw Mm -hmm. at Cerebell is what we uh, espoused to have at Botanica. And that was basically the the catalyst for us to see what opportunities there there would be. So we first met Cerebell um, through through some of their managers uh, through the University of Pretoria. So we've been dealing with the University of Pretoria to license some of their medicinal plant active ingredients. And I met uh, two of the managers at the time there, and we found out that this was actually something that was very interesting for both uh, our companies mm. and for the personnel involved. So uh, we set up a, a meeting a short while ago. I think this was about in 2017 or 2018. Mm. Mm. And uh, I was quickly introduced to then CEO of, of Cerebell, uh, Gary Bateman, and to yeah. Derek Thomas from Litsema as well. From there, we started a conversation and we realized that we actually have much more in common with regard to the goals and the objectives mm. of the, the people involved before we even started talking about business and, and how we could satisfy each other's value mm. chain requirements. So it was, first of all, a meeting of minds. It was that shared worldview that, that started the process. And since then, it's only been a pleasure. We, we work quite closely with the Cerebell team. And we look at offering solutions to the markets out there that each company knows. So it's a, it's a really a synergistic relationship with Cerebell. Mm. The, the word that struck me, you didn't quite use it, but it, it, it went throughout your answer is values. Uh, there's a value alignment between uh, what Botanica does, what Cerebell does, and also being Cerebell, being part of the Litsema family, which I think engenders um, good business operations uh, in a way. One thing I wanted to quickly ask you, we are running out of time. You mentioned wild harvesting. I know you you work with Boabab uh, as an example. Please correct me if, if I'm wrong. Marula, Kalahari melon, seed oil, and also uh, you produce Moringa oil. When you say wild harvesting, what does that mean? Many of these plants are naturally occurring and would not be viable to, to be planted as you would do if you were planting tomatoes or any other conventional mm. crops. So the term wild harvesting refers to harvesting the fruits or, or the nuts or whatever plant part you require from the wild, looking at wild populations and looking at when they flower or when they produce fruit and harvesting them from the wild. 
The challenge with this that we always have to look out for is that we don't over-harvest because there's a certain requirement for these trees to, to proliferate and to yes. uh, procreate. So we have to look at a sustainable way, mm. and there's that word again, uh, of doing that to ensure that, that the populations are viable, to ensure that for future generations uh, this will still be an option. And in that sense, what we're looking at is to move closer to a normal or a conventional agricultural model of planting our own plants, planting our own marula trees, planting our own baobab trees. Mm. Even if we're not going to be sitting in the shade of these trees or harvesting the fruit of these trees, that's what I think defines the sustainability with regard to wild harvesting and, and agricultural production. Mm. Uh, and long term. Um, sustainable long-term long that, that they go they go hand in hand uh, no, well thank you so much for chatting to us it's been uh, fantastic just just hearing about what botanica does by the way if you want to find out more about botanica and the work they do you can just visit their website at botanica.africa uh, online www.botanica.africa you can also google them and they will appear my final question for you will you said you're passionate uh, about what you do what drives you to, to get up every day and just head out head out into, I'm not quite sure what your working environment is if you work in the fields or in the factory or in the office, but what drives you to do what you do every day? I'm, I'm driven by, by social enterprise, by setting mm-hmm. up companies and setting up value chains that benefit participants throughout the value chain. You mentioned mm-hmm. it earlier there where you said that you can actually do a lot of good by, by running your company. That's exactly it for me, is it shouldn't be one at the cost of the other. But finding a way and developing some type of recipe of bringing all these different factors together and and having a company that adds value to all stakeholders, that's what drives me. Huh? That what's, that's what really gets me excited. Uh, and, and that's something I think uh, Letsema can identify with very strongly. It's hard, but uh, when all the pieces fall into place, the, the impact can become really outsized. Uh, Will, thank you so much for, for speaking to us. Very much appreciate your time. And thank again, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, uh, it's been our pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Let's Talks. We will be back next time. Thank you very much for listening.